now we've been in this consecutive expository series on the book of First John, subtitled, That You May Know. And we're going to see another one of those, uh, That You May Know, or something to that effect, similar effect today in our scripture reading in just a moment. Recently in the series, John has returned to the very familiar theme of love. He's talked about God being light, and he's also talked about God being love. And he's very specifically stated that last week that God is love. And that same reality and that same truth will be restated again in today's scripture reading. Last week mainly focused on the fact that God is love. Or we could maybe say it this way, that from God comes true, the only true love. He is the source of it all. Today, our reading is going to take us where the next step, the other side of the coin, as it were, comes, and that is love for one another. This, too, John has already mentioned. If you hadn't figured it out by now, there's quite a bit of repetition in the book of 1 John. Uh, Many books of the Bible do that for good reason. Because they're important things that we see them in context. And so today, if you will follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen or on your favorite device, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 21 for our scripture reading. And I would remind you, this is the word of the living God. Hear it with careful attention. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also Love his brother. 
the word of the Lord. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Father, once again, I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have not left us alone to ourselves, to our own devices and our own devisings of how to relate, Lord, to you and how to love you and how to love one another. Father, I, I pray the Spirit would come and use the word now and enable us to love you and to love each other more and more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's quite a significant difference, not, not that one is bad and the other is good, but there is a significant difference between portrait viewing, say in a gallery or something like that, where you go through and you gaze and look at nuances of famous or great uh, uh, portraits, and the difference between that and movie watching. Movie watching is what? Far more action-oriented. There is movement. When you go in to look at a gallery, you might stand there and gaze upon it and contemplate it for some time. But it's a rather still activity. There's not a lot of action. But when it comes to watching movies, and particularly action is strongly conveyed. And that's what we see taking place in this text this morning. God's love stirred us, stirs us because of his actions toward us, what he did for us, what he accomplished for us through his son, and now is accomplishing in us by the power of his indwelling spirit. We're drawn into large stories. We love them because we see truth being put into action. God's love is sacrificial, and sacrificial love is love in action. It's love in action. So there you go for the title if you pay attention to such. Today, John continues this, as I said, theme of love. He's picked it up again more recently. He's come at it once or twice before, and now he's taking the side of it and the other side of the coin in which we are to respond not only in love for God, because he is love, but also love for one another. Because God is love, that makes the possibility of love happen for us. We talked about that last week. You can't say, God, I can't love that person because you haven't poured out enough love into my heart. According to Romans 5, 8, he has. It's been poured out. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we are without excuse. We can't hide behind our lovelessness. But because God is love, we can love one another. His love is not past history. It is present reality. It is something that is ongoing and something that we are to be engaging in, in with one another and with God himself. It's the next logical step for those who've experienced God's love. If you've experienced God's love, then the next logical step is share it with someone else. Share it with your brother. Share it with your sister. So let's look at our outline 
that we're going to go through this text with this morning. First of all, we're going to see the confession required. There's something that needs to be confessed. Secondly, the confidence received. The kind of confidence because of what God has done we can have. And finally, the command reiterated. It's reiterated because it's really not new. It's an old commandment given originally in the Old Testament and further brought into focus through our Lord Jesus Christ. And John is drawing us back to it again. So those are our points of consideration. Let's look at them now. The confession required. Having already raised the subject of loving others because of God's love, John addresses it now more fully. Let's look at verses 13 through 16 again. But by this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he's given us his spirit. And, here's something else, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Now, interestingly, in another verse that John's already given, just a chapter or so back, chapter 3, verse 24, we read this. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. Did you hear the same content? Not the exact same phraseology, but it's the same truth. You've been given the spirit of God. That's the first point here in verse 13. The Holy Spirit, we've not been left to ourselves. We've not been left alone to our own resources to try to slog this out, to try to do this thing called the Christian life in our own flesh, in our own flesh's power. I don't know about you, but I've tried that. And I've crashed and broken upon the rocks trying to do that and become exhausted and weary and burned out. That's why the Holy Spirit has been given. John understood that all true believers in Jesus have the Spirit indwelling in them at the point of our regeneration when we were brought into relationship with God by the power of the Holy Spirit applying the work of Christ to us by faith. We are brought into that relationship with God. We have the Spirit indwelling us, and he moves us to love. He's not just dormant. He's prodding us, moving us toward love because God is love. But he does more than that. He's also a spirit, you could say, that enables us to, as it were, prophesy, to proclaim or to confess something true about the Son. John comes back here to the central question, as he's already done before, who is Jesus really? And what did he accomplish? The person in work of Christ is how we say that in theological terms. And John says the same confession that John and the other disciples made 
about Jesus when they were with him on this earth. He says all true Christians make that same confession. They own Jesus as Lord, as the Son of God who has come to bring the salvation, to do the work of the Messiah for the people of God. John says that same confession they made must be made by all people who would call themselves Christians. We got to make the same confession. Knowing this confession requires trust. This confession is not just a, a statement made with no meaning. It's a statement made, this is the one I trust. This is the one I believe in. This is the one I put my hopes in. This is the one I have counted and gone all in on, to use a poker analogy. I push all chips in on Jesus. As I said, the formulation is different again in one of the other verses. But listen to, to what 1 John 4, 1 through 3, if you last, earlier in this chapter. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now in the world already. In other words, he's saying any spirit that does not confess that Jesus is both God and the Son of God, he is the God-man, and he has come to bring the only salvation possible to the world. And there is no other horse to bet on. There is no one else that we can look to. There's no other place to turn. There are no other competitors You see, the Spirit testifies to who Jesus really is, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And that confession of Jesus as the Son of God, listen, means confession of his full and exclusive deity. He's not one among many, and he is fully God. He's not a semi-God. A kind of God, he is fully God, and he is exclusively the only God, the only Savior that we can have. See, the Romans, a long time ago, back in the early church, when they were ruling the then-known world and encountering Christians, they didn't have a problem with Christians uh, talking about Jesus. They didn't do anything against them. That was fine. They were, they were very, very pluralistic in their views of gods and goddesses and deities and so forth. That was fine. If you wanted to say you were following this guy, you, you could even call him God. You could even say he was the son of God. They were familiar with that. That language didn't bother them at all. Where they got into trouble is when they wouldn't admit that he's the only God, and he's the ultimate rival of their man-made gods and their deification of Caesar. Today, we have a lot of people that say, oh, I, I, I'm fine with Jesus. It's kind of cool, you know. I'm, I'm spiritual. I like Jesus. 
But don't tell me that he's the only way to God. I mean, after all, you know, Mohammed and Buddha and all those other ways, that works too. Those are other roads just getting you there a different path, different way. No, no. John is saying, if this is of the Holy Spirit, if you have the Spirit indwelling you, not only will it move you toward love for one another, but it will make you confess the truth. You will speak the truth. You will be completely and utterly satisfied with the only Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. It's a Jesus-only gospel. By the way, um, hang on. This week, um, I was reading, I get a lot of stuff in my mailbox, probably like you guys do. And um, one of the things that came across my uh, uh, screen or on my phone is uh, a little uh, Wednesday's word or by uh, uh, Paul Tripp. Some of you are familiar with Paul. Matter of fact, did you see the uh, uh, meditation on the screen this morning? It was a Paul Tripp quote. Well, I want to I want to double down on that, okay? Um, and this one, I, it came up, and it just kind of just saw it like yesterday, and I just thought this is this is really cool. But it also makes this point. But he's writing about Black Friday. Now you know what Black Friday is, right? It's the shopping day after Thanksgiving when crazy people go out at an unbelievably obscene hours of the morning to get to get the best deals and I mean I I just don't don't get it but he writes about Black Friday listen there's only one Black Friday it was not the day after Thanksgiving it was not a day when self-oriented consumers bumped in, climbed over, pushed into, screamed at, and hated the other consumers who were in their way. No. All the action of the one true Black Friday was on a hill of death. Outside the city were three souls hung on crosses, two criminals, and the Messiah. Doing what he came to do and what the world was desperate for. That Friday, the world went dark and the father turned his back and graves opened and the veil ripped in two and the son carried the father's anger and death was offered so life could be given. Darkness fell so light would shine. Payment made, freedom given, Redemption accomplished. There was only one Black Friday. No need to shop anymore for a Savior. Amen. No need to shop anymore for a Savior. That's what John is telling you and me today. Do you realize that? Do you live in light of that? Do you bask on that? Do you think on that? Do I? Secondly, John's talking about a certain confidence because of what Jesus did. If we can receive the confidence received because of what Jesus has done for us, we can be confident to face the past, the present, and the future unafraid. Listen to verses 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us 
so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. One day, every one of us, every single one of us and every person on this planet is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But we Christians, those of us who truly believe and have put our faith in the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and we've had our sins forgiven, we don't need to be afraid of that day. We don't need to fear it. We're not going to stand alone in that day. Jesus is going to be standing with us. You see, because our judgment day came 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary. Remember what Jesus said in 1 John 5.24? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears me and my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And then listen. And he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. And those great words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're not in Christ Jesus, you got, you're in trouble, big trouble. But if you are, you're sheltered, you're safe in his arms. See, John says this truth should result in confidence and increasing freedom from fear. It should make us more and more, if we really realize this truth, and if we think on it and meditate, it should make us more fearless. A lot of people go around with t-shirts that say no fear, but they live their life in abject fear because they don't know what's coming when that day comes, when they Assume room temperature in this place we call earth. But God says we can have increasing freedom from fear because we're sons and we're daughters now adopted into God's family through what Christ has done. And we're sons and daughters who respect and honor our Father but we're not prisoners who cringe before a judge. We can face our judge and make her unafraid because of what Christ has done. Servile fear is the spirit of bondage, but love is the spirit of adoption. Love is the spirit of adoption. If we understand that we are now sons and daughters of God through what Christ has done. You see, if the Father deals with us as he deals with his own beloved Son, 
why should we ever be afraid? If he deals with us, now because we are in Christ, we are already died, Colossians says, and our life is hidden with Christ and God. If we're already there, positionally, that's what I believe John is talking about in this text. Then there is no reason to be afraid in the past, in the present, or in the future. Finally, the command that's reiterated here is found in verses 19 through 21. John recalls what real love commands, and it's not really new. Look at verse 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother. Excuse me. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother. The commandment is in that last verse, but it's being explained what it means to love one another. That command that was given. You see, in verse 19, we learn the reason why God loves or excuse me, we learn the reason why we love because he first loved us. Without that, there is no love that can come from us. The only reason we love is because we first were the objects of his redeeming love. God took the initiative. You and I didn't. A lot of people say, well, I love God. I've always loved God all my life. Well, maybe if you were regenerated very early, that's possible. But you didn't love him until, first of all, you really understood the gospel and his love for you. It begins with God. It, what we have in the way of love comes from and flows from him. Your love for Jesus did not originate with you, and it didn't originate with me. It's the response to Bethlehem and Calvary. And your you could never love God apart from him loving you first. Then in verses 20 through 21, John gets very specific. And he says, I know there's some of you people out there that are saying, I love God, but I can't stand sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so. They are such a pill. They are such a problem. They are so self-righteous. They are so whatever. John says, you got a problem. He says, the problem is you're a liar. If you don't love the person you can see, John, arguing from the greater to the, uh, the lesser to the greater, he says, how in the world are you going to love a God you can't see? It's just words. This is love in action. Love in action. If we can't love 
the brother and sister we can see, how will we love God that we can't? John is saying this love is not talk. It's not sentimentality. It's not serpy. It is action toward the well-being and benefit and advancement of your brother or your sister. Of sacrificial love toward them. How can that be? Where does that come from? He says, if it, you know the source, then you know where it comes from. And because God is the source, he's poured that out. And you can share it with others. The love that God has lavished upon you and me. To love God and to love one another are the heads and tails of the same coin of love. As I mentioned earlier. They're the heads and tails. You can't, you can't separate them. You can't bifurcate them. And say, well, I'm going to love God, but I'm not going to love my brother. John says, you either have love for God and your brother and sister, or you have no love for God nor your brother and sister. You can't slice this and get the peace that you want and not also the other. They are book, remember the bookend commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. There's the other bookend. This is the two-sided coin of love. And John is just being logical. He's just using sheer brute logic so that we can't run, hide. We can't make excuses for our failure to love one another. But by the way, we do fail to love one another. What's the remedy then? Forgiveness. Repent. Come back and say, I'm sorry I offended you. I didn't realize that. I am so sorry. How did that make you feel? Will you forgive me? That shows, again, the real heart of love. Christian love, love for one another, is orthodox. It proclaims the truth about Jesus Christ. It is assuring and it is active. So the question remains, how's your love life today? How's mine? Let's pray. Father, again, we ask that you would help us to, to truly love you. And Father, then if, if, if we really love you and if we've experienced your love, oh Lord, help us to, to share it and give it to our brothers and sisters. Even beyond that, Father, because you have poured out such great love in our hearts, Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he's not giving up on us. He's going to strive until, Lord, one day we love you and we see you as you are. But until then, Father, fuel us with your love. Give us the love that we need to love one another and help us, Lord, sacrificially to show and carry it out that it would be, Lord, that which glorifies you. And we pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.